0: I think sometimes it just comes down to, like, maybe, like, ego. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Being artists, we all have, like, this sense of, like, we have our personal brands. And I think at the end of the day, everyone just, you know, wants to put their idea out there. It's just knowing when
2: someone wants that more than the rest. (laughs) Welcome back to Working. I'm your host, June
3: Thomas. And I'm your other host, Karen Hahn. Karen, it's great to see you again. How are things? It's great to see you again, too. I'm always happy to see you. Things are pretty good. I'm in sort of like the final stages of oh. writing for my book, which is like Oof. both exciting and also very stressful. So that that's about where I am, where like every text that I return to my friends about a month late, I'm prefacing with like, I'm so sorry. Like, I've been so busy.
2: <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, well, let's just keep rolling so you can get back to it as soon as we're done. <laughs> So who are we going to hear from this week?
3: This week, I talked to the lovely Christina Chang. She is an artist who has worked as creative director on the Cartoon Network show We Baby Bears and as a storyboard artist on the show. It's a spinoff of We Bear Bears. Um, (laughs) Yeah, she's an animator of many hats. Wow. So I
2: know how... Old and out of touch, this question will make me seem. <laughs> but I have to admit, I've never seen any of the Wee Bear Bears or Wee Baby Bears shows or the movie. And so I have to ask this question that I know annoys animation fans, but are they intended for kids or for adults?
3: <laughs> In fairness to you, I think the real thing that annoys animation fans or people who work in animation is relegating the medium itself to being meant for kids Uh or adults, Mm. um, which is still kind of a big point of contention, unfortunately. (laughs) Um, But from show to show, I think it's fine to ask, just like you would ask about a live action TV show. Like, is Mm. this for teens? Is this for kids? Is this for adults? Um, That said, I would say that the Bears franchise is mostly geared towards kids, but like all the best kids shows can easily be enjoyed by adults as well.
2: Awesome. And I believe you asked Christina some questions that are intended exclusively for our Slate (laughs) Plus members. What will they hear?
3: So for the Slate Plus segment this week, we talk about burnout and taking breaks. Um, She talks about going backpacking in Europe for a break. And we also talk about sort of feeling anxiety about your career path. So a lot of very working Uh, Style (laughs) discussions.
2: Good stuff, in other words. All right, so that's obviously going to be fascinating. So, if for some unfathomable reason you are not yet a member of Slate Plus, I'm just saying, why don't you sign up today? You'll get extra segments of shows like ours, and then some shows like Slow Burn and Big Mood, Little Mood, they produce entire episodes just for Slate Plus members, and you'll never hit a paywall on the Slate site. To learn more about joining Slate Plus, go to slate.com/slash working plus. All right, now let's listen in on Karen's conversation with Christina Chang.
3: Hi, Christina, thank you so much for coming on to working. I'm so excited to chat with you about your your jobs, plural. Yeah, thank you,
0: Karen. Thank you for having me.
3: So I wanted to start by talking about your, what I think is your most recent role, or at least um, the most recent one that we're allowed to talk about publicly, which is that you were creative director on Cartoon Network's We Baby Bears. For our listeners, can you really quickly kind of, I guess, describe what is the role of a creative director? What does that job entail?
0: It was funny, like on my last day, I also asked my producer, I was like, what would you describe this role? (laughs) (laughs) Because looking back, it has been kind of just like a whole bunch of things Mm -hmm. almost in together. But my main background and focus was from storyboarding. So that was how I sort of entered the animation industry. And that was kind of my jumping off point going into this role. Mm -hmm. I was there for about like a year and three months. And it kind of just started off with like creating like an aesthetic rule book Mm -hmm. and just like making sure that like we had tons of ideas, but trying to like see if we can maintain some sort of consistency, um, between each episode. Mm -hmm. And I guess it kind of eventually flowed into like a technical aspect where we had all of these visual ideas, but it came down to funneling, like what was feasibly possible for like our in-house art team to facilitate uh, like we didn't want to create too many designs that was overwhelming for them. So it kind of just became like a communicating between the story department and the art department.
3: I want to ask a little bit more about what you're saying about the role, but I, I'm also curious, when you asked your producer, what exactly, what, how would you describe my job? What did they say to you?
0: He kind of boiled it down to um, making previs. Mm. So most of the time, I think at Cartoon Network, we have like shows about like, it's like kind of like sitcom Uh, It's like every day in the life of, and we revisit like the same locations, but Baby Bears was very different in the sense that like they travel everywhere. Mm
4: -hmm. There's
0: uh, new characters all the time. So we don't quite have everything like pre-planned. So we have like this funny little role, creative director uh, that tries to basically give enough previs material as a jumping off point for our storyboard artists to work with when they go into boarding.
3: So, very quickly, you've worked on, I guess, three Bears properties now, which is Wee Bear Bears, and then the movie, and then Wee Baby Bears. Can you explain a little bit about what, I guess, the franchise is about, and then the difference between those kind of three um, entities?
0: So, when I first started working on Daniel Chong's original Wee Bear Bears series, it's about three adult bear brothers, adoptive brothers, uh, Grizz. Panda, the little child, and Ice Bear, the youngest. Um, They're living in a cave, like, outside San Francisco. And (laughs) it's about them (laughs) trying to find a place that they belong. Obviously, because they're bears, they have, like, an odd time, like, trying to, like, fit in.
4: Did you bring your tote bag? Ah, plastic's fine. Thanks. Uh, no, actually, it's not fine. Uh, paper, then? Wait, you seriously forgot your reusable bag? Uh... What reusable bag? Ugh, let me get this straight. You don't have a tote bag? Do you even care about the environment at all? What about the animals? Whoa, sir. We are animals.
0: It's just like all these like shenanigans that they get up to, uh, which lead up to the movie where they find broad societal acceptance towards the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and then intermittently, like through the Wee Bear Bear series, we we got to do like these like cute, really fun like flashback episodes of them as cubs mm-hmm. and them actually homeless and living out of box. Uh, mm-hmm. And they're like running around um, also getting to varied shenanigans, but just tinier. <laughs> and I think the network like really like love that. So Manny Hernandez was able to like pitch the spin-off of them just as babies completely. And then also like a new visual style of being like a little bit more anime but I think uh, audience definitely should just, like, go into this, like, seeing this as, like, a spinoff. Uh, and, like, a lot of their adventures are completely different from, like, where they were, like, in the original series. It's kind of its like own thing where they mm-hmm. pick up a magical box and they're able to, like, warp around to new worlds.
4: Whoa. What's happened to our box? It's got a star on it. And it's shining hot.
0: Again, get into shenanigans, but with not <laughs> not with just the people of San Francisco. <laughs>
3: yeah, gotcha. Yeah. And you mentioned like one of the parts of your role is making sure that there's sort of a consistent style from episode to episode, like throughout the season. How do you decide like what is kind of pushing the boundary too far, um, and what or like is or isn't acceptable?
0: I think it comes down to some personal preferences. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Because uh, all of our artists, like, we all love anime. That's kind of where our influence is from. But I want to say, like, anime at this point isn't really, like, um, just, like, a set style. Like, there's, like, so much variation within anime itself. Mm -hmm. And kind of at the end of the day, like, I was also trying to figure it out. And I think it just boiled down to, like, okay, what is too painful to produce? (laughs) So... (laughs) Um, and if it's like funny, so I think like, as long as it's like cute, funny, and economical, that was kind of mm. like the guideline that I went with. Cause at the end of the day, like I loved everything that the artists made. They're, mm-hmm. They have such great ideas. So it was also good to see like individual like taste come out of that.
3: Yeah. And can you talk a little bit about like what is or isn't quote unquote, like painful to produce an animation? Cause like from my Um, very meager experience in the field. Like, I know, like, crowd shots are kind of something that people try to shy away from because it requires, like, so many individual kind of assets to be done. Um, So if you could talk a little bit more about that as a part of your job. Yes, crowd shots, for sure. (laughs) I I remember coming in across, like, a couple
0: meetings where there was a lot of brainstorming on how to, like, break down these crowds. Mm -hmm. Uh, Costume changes. Uh, Anytime, like, a character, like, wears a hat or, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like, anything that they touch... Uh, that affects their model. It's considered like almost like a new character design.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And then like a really big one that I learned on the job was just um, times of day. So day changes. Interesting, Because it creates like new palettes for any character that interacts in that day change. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: And I want to talk about, I guess, sort of transitioning between jobs as well. Because you mentioned that like your path through the animation world involved like being working as a storyboard artist and stuff, which to me, sounds almost like an slightly inverse to the role of creative director, where when you're a storyboard artist, it seems like you were kind of answering to someone else, whereas as a creative director, you kind of are the person looking over other people. Is that right? Yeah, it's definitely a dynamic shift. Mm-hmm. But
0: I think at the end of the day, I really enjoyed my time as a storyboard artist. I felt like that was the time when I had the chance to like learn the most because mm-hmm. it was the act of doing it. I did also learn a lot in the creative director role, but you don't actually get to produce the work as much because you're m- mostly just like overlooking um, the artists assigned to you.
3: Yeah. So what was it that made you want to switch roles or try something new? Well, I think it would have only
0: happened just for We Baby Bears. Mm-hmm. Like I had close ties with At the time, it's former showrunner and the original showrunner and a bunch of other colleagues that had been there for quite a while. Like we've worked for like four plus years. Mm -hmm. So it really felt like I was like coming back to family and getting to like work with them. And it also came around at a time when it seemed like the production needed that role to be filled the most. Mm -hmm. Uh,
3: So I was happy to like come in and swoop in and fill it. So had you been in a position where you were managing people before or was this kind of your first experience like having a team that you're uh, spearheading?
0: Not my first. I had been directing for like the past year, but just solely as a storyboard director. So um, in that sense, like my responsibilities were more streamlined to just like one focus, which was like overlooking the work of my storyboard team.
3: I guess this is a bit of a broad question at this point, where I'm sure actually my understanding of storyboarding is pretty rudimentary as well. Like, could you walk us through like what the job of a storyboard artist is?
0: So storyboarding, uh, I think at, like its most like basic explanation is we take a outline or a script where writers just basically have like beat out like the story points to something of a story, and we provide the visuals for that story and then in some cases it's coming up with jokes or coming up with visual gags and then obviously there's like more technical aspects to it like that follow like the general rules of cinematography like screen direction keeping things like within the rule of thirds or you know like not cutting any tangents no jump cuts like that type of stuff
3: so I know that early in your career you did an internship with Pixar, but I want to get a better sense of your origin story, as it were. Uh, when did you decide that animation was something that you wanted to pursue as a career?
0: I feel like a lot of us, uh, or at least like my peers that I went to school with, we we all like just like fell into it through the internet, just like knowing that it was a thing. I think I specifically followed like a, a neo pets artist at the time. Hell yeah! And then <laughs> I put my sights on like this school called Ringling College of Art and Design, specifically their computer animation program. And that was like a way to convince my parents to be okay with it because they were like computer people. (laughs) (laughs) Specifically, they're like computer data analysts. So they were like, okay, art with computer (laughs) attached might have a future. But going into the school, I think, um, and this is like quite normal, I feel like, but like after you go past, like, freshman year into, like, the other years and really, like, start digging into the CG part, a lot of us realized, like, oh, maybe CG isn't for us. Mm -hmm. Um, We were really lucky to have, like, this uh, teacher named Paul Downs who came from Blue Sky, and he was there to teach storyboarding. Mm -hmm. And I think he literally just, like, pulled me aside one day, and he's like, your drawings are better than your CG. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. uh, I decided to make two portfolios for that, that upcoming summer. One was CG generalist. The other was storyboarding. I got an offer to be a CG generalist intern at The Mm. Mill. It's like an ad agency across like Chicago, New York. And then the only other option that came in was Pixar. So I took that.
3: (laughs) Mm -hmm. What were your responsibilities as a Pixar intern?
0: It was actually run just like a training program. So we didn't work on anything production related. So... They had us do Sharpie drawings only for the entire, like, three, four months. Uh, I think they changed it after our year, but (laughs) they gave us, like, uh, much like school, they would give us, like, prompts to work with uh, where we would check in with our mentors. And then there was, like, a guy who was, like, running the class as well.
3: Mm -hmm. Have you ever thought about going, like, trying to do more CGI stuff? Or is that kind of like, I don't want to do that anymore? (laughs) I'll use it
0: sometimes if I'm mm-hmm. like redecorating my room. I'll like oh, make really?
3: Little,
0: yeah, I'll make like little CG mock ups, and that's as much as I can do. A lot of us could benefit
3: from that in terms yeah. of interior decoration. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you've held a lot of different jobs in animation. Can you walk us pretty, like, briefly through the kinds of positions you've had and the responsibilities those entail. And like, I'm also curious on a broader note, if you think that's a fairly typical path, um, I guess, quote unquote, up the animation ladder, or if there's kind of a lot more um, latitude or flexibility in the field. I think my journey
0: was really normal in the sense that like, I went to art school like it, it made sense because uh, animation is a pipeline system. Mm-hmm. And entry level, I started. That's what I started out as after school was a storyboard revisionist. Mm-hmm. I would say that we're kind of like the like the bandaid to <laughs> whatever is like coming through the cracks. So maybe like the director wanted something to, like changed really last second over here. We would like mm-hmm. go in and to make those alterations or. If the artist, the storyboard artist, like didn't have enough time to clean up, we would like do that to make sure that the poses are clear, that there's mm-hmm. enough visual information for our overseas uh, vendors to really understand and be able to basically copy at some points.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And then every time that I've been promoted, I think it's because someone else above me has left, and I think that's <laughs> kind of a, the natural progression of things. So mm-hmm. I was a revisionist for like maybe six or eight months mm-hmm. uh, before moving on to board artist.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: We Bare as the show ended. Then there was a movie. Mm-hmm. I retained my role as a storyboard artist on that. And around the time that the movie ended, I decided to, like five years had passed and I was like, all mm-hmm. right, it's time to take a break. Mm-hmm. And I think at the time I was just thinking about going back into boarding. I never really saw myself in like doing leadership. Mm-hmm. But it was during that six month break like uh, the director at the time, Manny Hernandez, he was going to basically inherit the show as the showrunner for Baby Bears. Mm
1: -hmm. He
0: offered the role of storyboard director. Mm -hmm. So six months later, I returned for that.
2: (laughs) We'll be back with more from Karen's conversation with Christina Chang after this.
4: Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank. Members of DIC terms and conditions apply.
2: Listeners, you may have noticed that we've launched a new bi weekly bonus version of Working focused on listener questions and advice. And we'd love to feature your questions, concerns, ideas, and more on the show. Is there a creative problem you're having? or a creative practice that's working very well for you right now? Is there something you'd like to hear us expound upon? Well, drop us a line at working at slate.com or call us and leave a voicemail at 304-933-WORK. And if you're enjoying this episode, don't forget to subscribe to Working wherever you get your podcasts. Now back to Karen's Conversation with Christina Chang.
3: So my understanding of how animation, the animation industry works right now is like you get the storyboards and they're sent to an overseas animation studio for them to kind of make, I guess, the final iteration of it. Um, can you talk a little bit about, I guess, that pipeline of making sure that you have enough information for them there? And then like, do you have to look over it again? Like when it comes back from them, et cetera?
0: Yeah. So after a storyboard is done, uh, it goes through like a revisions process with our sp- board supervisor um and he oversees the um the revisionist where they like lay in like technical groundwork and pick up any mistakes um meanwhile like the art department will also o- look over it and go like oh we need something more specific here to tell us like what the lighting will look like at this like you know electric zap effect uh mm-hmm. so it's like a lot of people uh yeah like passing the baton in a short amount mm-hmm. of time and then finally as it goes to overseas we have in-house timers where they like literally sit down and they're like okay how do you want this like action of like their hand to move um and then they'll literally like have like x sheets where they put down specifically like how many panels and how many panels long they want wow, like, yeah this type of thing not every place works like this but this is like how to my understanding uh, a lot of shows at Cartoon Network are made and also mm. like I think like Disney and Nickelodeon too, maybe uh, if they're using the same vendors, which we, we do share. So these uh, boards, uh, along with like a lot of art material, get shipped overseas. And we have like these like two alternating studios, uh, Seiram and RDK, Rough Draft Studios, over in Korea. And we alternate the episodes with them. And on their end, they have, like, their own animators who work all traditionally on paper, (laughs) which is really amazing. Wow, yeah. And they do, like, an amazing job with the resources that they're given to give us everything back into, like, a work print. Work print Mm -hmm. being basically the first cut of animation uh, with no sound or anything on top of it. So you're just seeing the visuals. And from there, we'll do, like, a back and forth if necessary to, like, like fix any, like, small issues. Mm-hmm. And once that's done, it goes into mixes. And that's when the sound gets put in.
3: You mentioned that you didn't really see yourself taking on a leadership position before. Um, I guess that means that boarding is kind of where your passion or preference lies. Is that, is that a fair assumption? I guess I'm still I'm still trying to
0: like figure that out for myself.
3: Mm-hmm. Like having
0: uh, having done leadership roles, I think maybe it's because I'm an introvert or something. <laughs> Not sure, but I do think like stepping into leadership while it was fun, it was also uh, maybe like more. Ta- it, it felt like some people didn't find it as taxing as I did. Uh-huh. Um, just like that, like mental and social leap into it
3: this is maybe I guess maybe potentially a thorny question but like in in the leadership roles that you've had like have you had to deal with people who aren't that way and like how do you deal with potential conflicts in that space?
0: I guess what was atypical about my career so far was that I have been on a show the Baby Bears franchise for so long Mm -hmm. and part of the reason it's is I think it was because I was super comfortable with, like, the people around me. Um, yeah. Everyone was, like, super nice. Like, even during the whole Me Too movement, I think I was, like, just reading about, like, everyone's accounts. I was like, whoa, this is, like, something I've never encountered I didn't think was real or whatever. So when I had left, I left the Bears family, like, briefly. And I think that was, like, yeah, kind of, like, shocking because I was like, whoa, mm-hmm. people really do tell you to, like smile more and Whoa. yeah uh, just like yeah uncomfortable maybe gender-based things mm-hmm. i don't know how i dealt with it i think it's like you try to go through formal channels right
1: mm-hmm. but
0: i think what we learned is like hr is just kind of more than to like hold the ship steady they're not necessarily out there to like change people but also yeah. i don't think it's in their power to because i guess my opinion on it is um if someone has been like this their entire lives, I don't think them working with like someone new for three months is gonna really give them that like awakening that we would love to see. But yeah, um, yeah. Unfortunately, I think my only solve to that was just by leaving uh, that project.
3: Yeah, yeah. Unf- that's unfortunate, but I guess sometimes that's the only thing you can do. Like I, I recall. Um, some conversations that I've had with peers, at least in media, where it's sort of reiterating like HR, at the end of the day, they're not as much there to help you as they are to help the company or keep the company safe, which is sometimes a little dispiriting to think about. No disrespect to the HR people that I've worked with who have all been lovely, but it's just the nature of the job and the nature of like working for a bigger corporation, I guess.
0: That was like another thing Yeah, going into leadership was like you're kind of like bumper cars um and you know there's no lanes per se or no Mm -hmm. clear lanes so I feel like I've definitely like bumped the edges and rails like a little bit Mm -hmm. especially when it came to like learning how to work under someone who wasn't like the most receptive or pleasant to work with
3: yeah
0: and I think sometimes it just comes down to like maybe like ego because like we Mm -hmm. are all creative I think um being artists we all have like this sense of like uh, we have our personal brands mm-hmm. and I think at the end of the day everyone just you know wants to put their idea out there so it's just knowing when someone wants that more than the rest and mm-hmm. knowing like maybe when to step in or step away yeah and then I guess like the success of the project would also just kind of hinge on like how much does everyone trust each other to like put their forth their ideas
3: and I, I'm sure there is a, an equivalent, which is why I asked this. But can you describe, like, what is the storyboard artist's equivalent to writer's block? And how do you deal with that?
0: I mean, I guess it's just what it is, but storyboard artist's block. <laughs> like, you, <laughs> yeah. you, like, you don't know exactly what to put down on paper. And, yeah, I feel like uh, that happens all the time, especially mm-hmm. uh, for me, I think, Whenever there's like a interior environment, it's like oh suddenly um, I'm thinking about too much about like the spacing and mm. how the background will affect the characters and uh, but the best solve to that is for me is like getting off the computer and starting to work on paper mm. and work with like little tiny like sticky notes or thumbnails.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: The drawings themselves can look, you know, like crappy and make no sense (laughs) to anyone else but me it's just like a really cheap way like so that that way you don't you don't feel precious about anything you're putting down and other times if I think if it's like a lack of inspiration like if I know that I'm doing like a chase scene I'll start to go look through movies and clips Mm -hmm. to see like how they tackled or how they like made a part of that chase like interesting Mm -hmm. to just like kind of inform me about what are my options
3: And as someone who works in animation, do you have, like, particular shows or movies that you, as an animator, are really passionate about or think are, like, paragons of the craft?
1: Hmm.
0: Well, I think the—much, like, maybe my my uh, entire—around our generation is, like, Avatar, The Last Airbender. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that was the show I was watching as a kid. I was, like, watching it next to my mom, and my mom was like, what is this, like, weird-looking (laughs) people— And beside her, I was, like, thinking so loudly in the universe. I was like, this is it. This is what I'm going to do.
3: Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um,
3: I know that, like, the conversation around, like, is animation just for kids has been kind of a, a huge pain point for the industry. Like, even there was some joke at the Oscars this year where they are like, oh, this is a category that's just for kids. And it's like, no, like, that's, this medium is capable of so much more, but it's just like the public or popular perception of it is so narrow-minded.
0: I also do think, like, we're starting to see a shift here because um, mm-hmm. I think there's just, like, more people going into animation who want to see this type of stories. So that's what we're just going to be pitching around mm-hmm. animation town anyways. And I think this also coincides with, like, you know, why is anime kind of popular in the way that it is? And it's because it's not necessarily a genre. It's just, like, a style. And... Yeah. Because of that, they actually do have like a huge range of stories for like all age groups and all like, uh, so they can, they have the ability to like connect with like more mature audiences.
3: I have one last question for you, which is kind of a silly one, but the current project that you're working on, we won't be able to see for a while. So for the people who are listening right now, do you have like a specific episode of something that you've worked on that you say, go watch this one? Because it's like, that's like the thing that I've worked on that I'm the most proud of, if that makes sense.
0: Well, uh, I guess that's, like, the funny thing is, like, there's usually, like, a one to two year, uh, sorry, nine month to two year delay between, like, um, having worked on something and then seeing the the outcome of it. Like, if I was a board artist on Bears, my episode would come back, like, maybe in a year after that.
3: Yeah.
0: So I think we're, at least uh, me and my crew on Bears, like, I think we're going to be really excited for um, this two-parter finale episode. Oh cool. The boards were really fantastic. We decided to get like a a guest animator Whoa, to come cool. on to do some like action sequences.
3: Do you know like when it's going to air? Probably
0: not until like at least October. Oh on wow. Network. Okay. But it will definitely be marketed as like two-parter finale, <laughs> I feel.
3: Okay. Well, that's <laughs> yeah. good to know. Look listeners, look out for that in later this year. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the show. It was such a delight to talk to you.
0: Yeah, thank you so much, Karen. It's nice to be here.
1: but there's something you can do about it. And we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash live for tickets. Karen,
2: that was such a chill, but incredibly (laughs) informative conversation. I was really glad that you were able to explore a question That feels relevant to pretty much every job and profession, and definitely including creative fields, which is deciding if you want to carry on being an individual contributor or moving up the career ladder and taking on more of a supervisory role. Christina was so thoughtful on that topic. Is that something you've wrestled with in your own career?
3: Yeah, it was something that was kind of floating over my head, mostly when I was still working full time as a journalist, because in my experience, especially in today's media landscape, there's no path upward for a reporter or journalist beyond becoming an editor. Like there's not like Senior writer positions don't really exist or mm-hmm. as much as you'd want them to, at least. <laughs> and yeah. so the problem really wasn't whether or not I wanted to become an editor because I like managing people and I think I'm okay at it. But it was mostly – the problem was why there weren't more options. Um, Like I remember in one of the previous places that I worked, our editor-in-chief basically verbatim said that the two paths for promotion at the company were you either become an editor or you become famous. (laughs) And it was like that's not what some people want. It's not really relevant to the job that we're trying to do. It's not in our power. And it's also very much based on like – if you're white, it'll mm. probably be easier. Yeah. If you're a white yeah. man, it'll be even easier. Yeah. Especially looking at the path that my colleagues were taking, it was like, even more than the fact that this is not something that we want, it is a, a deck that's very much stacked against us, which seems incredibly unfair.
2: Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, there is that alternative of, well, for shorthand, we, these days we call it taking the substack path. But it seems <laughs> like the people, you know, not exclusively, but almost all the people who make it big there are, are not people that i would
3: want to emulate yeah it's that and also you have to already have a big audience yes, for that to yes. be a viable path for you because yep, if yep. you're only having five subscribers like that's great but it's also not a living wage
2: no kidding and a big part of being in more of a supervisory role is being involved in controlling budgets mm-hmm. and in the world of animation. It's really fascinating to hear how that played out in Christina's world, which meant Mm -hmm. avoiding hats and the shift from day to night and costume changes. And that led me to try to think about shows that I now realise must have absolutely exploded their budgets, making a lot of changes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like... The, the FX and I think now FXX show, Archer, mm-hmm. it went from being like a Mad Men influenced New York based spy story in the very beginning when it had very specific backgrounds and costumes to spending one season as a Miami Vice inspired a Miami set kind of drug smuggling show to basically <laughs> having a different look and feel every single season. You watch a lot more animation and anime than I do. Did that conversation with Christina lead you to think about other shows that rip up their budget on a regular basis?
3: Actually, yeah. Um, For a lot of the pandemic, my partner and I have been watching anime for our lunch breaks because it's a nice, like, 20 or 30 minute kind of break and it's set so you know how much time is passed and then you go back to working Yeah. Um, but it's especially apparent I think in anime because you can tell sometimes there's episodes where it just doesn't really look as good and usually (laughs) those are episodes in which not that much is happening but you're still like wait what's going on but then the next episode they'll have a huge fight scene that's just so gorgeously animated and executed that you're like oh that's where the budget went like you can see where they're allocating money like kind of based on importance in the story where it's like this is really really crucial to the show so this has to look good that's where we have to put money in
2: you know but that's like when people have a beautiful house but then they have one room like i knew someone once who had a beautiful house but they also had had like they'd imported like a bohemian artisan to hand paint the bathroom Mm, wow and that just meant that the rest of the house just looked Crummy compared to that. It's like, (laughs) you gotta keep it even. You gotta keep it even, even if it means you're gonna have the best bathroom in the world.
3: Yeah, I completely agree. (laughs) (laughs) It was
2: funny to hear Christina indicate a little bit of fatigue in drawing Mm -hmm. or storyboarding the same group of characters for five years. Obviously, there are long-running live-action shows like, you know, Law & Order SVU, but we're living in an era of super long-running animated shows. As I mentioned, Archer, it's heading into its 13th season. The Simpsons is in its 33rd. (laughs) And I know that We Baby Bears at least got a chance to explore an alternative cubdom for Mm -hmm. its characters Um, but most cartoon characters are stuck at whatever age they were first drawn at Bart Simpson is still 10 years old it's just a weird old world with some very specific challenges right
3: yeah, definitely. It's sort of both a blessing and a curse, I think, where you don't have to worry about the actors getting older in the same way that you have to do for live action shows. Like this was sort of going around on Twitter where people were sharing screenshots of this new Stranger Things trailer and being like, These are adults now, <laughs> like they're yeah. not believable as children. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, time is still passing and you have to sort of think about what stories you can tell with a person just at one age. Yeah. If you want to like like why wouldn't she want to explore like maybe puberty or just the pains of growing up but at the same time, I also sort of wonder if the era that you're describing is over because, again, Archer premiered 13 years ago. Yeah, I can't think of anything kind of in that time that has had the same kind of longevity, I guess. Like, looking at the shows that are on right now, it seems like there are more engineered towards being one season or just being a few seasons long. Yeah. Maybe it's because of network reluctance to commit to any new ideas that hard, especially because IP-driven properties mm-hmm. are kind of the only thing that gets made right now, which yeah, is kind of yeah. depressing. Yeah. Um, or maybe creators just want to tell more uh, contained stories and don't want to commit to things for that long. Who knows what the reason is? But yeah, I, I wonder if anything will ever run that long again. Yeah.
2: I was really struck by Christina's story of picking a field that is artistic. I mean, literally, she's an artist, but one that she could get her parents to buy into because it involved computers. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but the best part of the story for me was that she was able to act on some feedback that she got from a trusted teacher, which was that her storyboards were better than her CGI work mm-hmm. and make a bit of a shift. I really love to hear when people's childhood dreams come true But at the same time, I worry about making lifelong choices too early in our lives. Mm -hmm. So I wonder, Karen, did you always want to be a writer? Did you or were you tempted to train in a more, shall we say, a practical field? (laughs)
3: I did not always want to be a writer. I I very clearly remember like the first job that I really, really wanted when I was a child was I wanted to be an animator, actually, like I wanted to go work at Studio Ghibli or at Pixar. But I think my interest sort of drifted to film and TV, Mm. or live action film and TV, just because there's kind of, I guess, more of it being made um, around that time. Um, But that wasn't really like a safe bet, which is why I majored in art history, as opposed to going to film school. I know, right? (laughs) I just had this conversation with a friend a while ago, where she was like, why was that more acceptable (laughs) like going to film school? Um, But uh, yeah, writing wasn't, I don't think it was really something that I set out to do or thought that that would be my career for a while. It was just something that I fell into because it felt like this was the easiest way to kind of have a foot in that world, like by doing like culture writing. Yeah,
2: yeah.
3: I think the only times that I think now about why I'm in the field that I'm in are when like I hear like my friends talking about their fiancés who are in like computers or whatever Mm, and making like... (laughs) $160,000 Yeah. $160,000 a yeah. year. And I'm like, yeah. why didn't I do that? Like, why didn't I go into a field that has more money and also yeah. more job security? Because the media landscape is so, so unpredictable and unstable. Let's, how do you spell precarious? M E D
2: I A. Yes.
1: Oh, no. <laughs>
2: I just made that up, people. All right. That's a good Uh, joke. (laughs) (laughs) I really liked Christina's tip for overcoming block, which for Mm -hmm. her involved stepping away from the computer and going analog, but very specifically, working on little scraps of paper or post it notes, something that she just could not be precious about. Mm -hmm. Do you do anything similar?
3: I don't write now, but I really love the idea of it. Like, I like the idea of handwriting something before committing it, like, to computer, as it were. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I know. <laughs> like, there's there's definitely periods where I'm like, ooh, I should, like, write out all the stuff on a legal pen, and then <laughs> it'll be so good before I type it up <laughs> at the computer. But I've never actually done it, just because I'm Have deadlines and I feel like it's more efficient. yeah But I'm hoping that I have more time to experiment with that stuff once I'm done with my book. I actually did just buy some fancy bottles of ink to use with a fountain pen, which as I was writing this, I was like, ooh, I have to tell June because I know that she's a stationary nerd. Yeah, so I need to know more. What kind of ink did you buy? I bought a few inks that have like kind of multiple colors in them. So they kind of will change shade as you're writing. Sheening and shading. I love sheening and shading.
1: Oh
2: my goodness. (laughs) gotta compare notes literally
3: yeah i was like i have to talk to June about this but obviously not on the podcast because it's not <laughs> relevant.
2: what is your creative well it's about sheening. no okay mm-hmm,
3: exactly uh, i mean maybe it is <laughs>
2: <laughs> christina's other tip was just as fabulous it was looking for inspiration in excellent versions of situations that you're kind of stuck on Mm -hmm. I remember that Melinda Lowe said she'd tried something similar when she was writing her book last night at the Telegraph Club. She was having real trouble getting a party scene right. So she turned to a writer she really liked, Sarah Waters, who had done a really great one. And she studied it to see how Waters had done it. It's such a good way of getting unstuck.
3: And I don't hear a lot of people talking about doing that. Do you ever... Yeah, I think on a subconscious level, definitely. Because like when you want to write an action or draw an action, it's easiest to do it when you're seeing it happen. Yeah. Like when you have a reference to kind of pull from. I feel like maybe the reason people don't talk about this method very much is because we're all afraid of plagiarism to some yeah. extent. Yeah. But I, th- I feel like if you have a little common sense, you know where the line in the sand is <laughs> and yeah. if you're going over it. Yeah. But it's definitely useful. Like even like I think writing action scenes is something that's tough on paper because you have to write a paragraph for like two seconds of action yeah. and it's yeah. not clear how to keep that momentum going. But like looking at other scripts, l- watching a movie and seeing how they pull it off if they do it well um, or even sometimes if they're not doing well, you can be like, oh, that's what I have to avoid and that'll help yeah. me write a good action scene and not fuck it up. <laughs> yeah, somehow. exactly. exactly. Um, so I think it is really useful and it also... Um, I think we'll sort of rev your brain back up like it's inspiring when you see something done really well you're like oh yeah. yes like I could let, let me try to go do that instead of yeah. be like oh <laughs> I don't exactly. know.
2: yeah 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 it, it gets you like oh, I want to I want to be good like that yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so all right, final lightning round question for you Karen you asked Christina to name a paragon of animation I'm dying to know how would you answer that question
3: it's so tough because I feel like all of my answers are cop-outs or kind of too <laughs> common. Where like, I really do think Spirited Away is a perfect movie, but I mm. also know that everyone is going to say that where it's like it's a great movie and it's put on a pedestal like for a reason right Um, so to that extent I don't think it's a wrong choice but I do think it's kind of boring maybe Um, so I will say these aren't exactly uh, not well known movies either um, but the work of Satoshi Kon uh, like Paprika or Millennium Actress or Perfect Blue those are really worth checking out Um, and on the new anime side I will say the series Ranking of Kings I think is really really great I think they flub the ending a little bit but if you watch it you can come talk to me about that and we can discuss it but the animation is so good and I feel like the storytelling is also done like in a really interesting way um I I won't again I, I won't turn this into the ink or the anime podcast instead of working but highly recommend all of those things
2: well that's all the time we have this week unless of course you're a slate plus member in which case you will soon hear a little something extra from this week's interview And if you're not a Slate Plus member, it's very easy to sign up. Just go to slate.com slash working plus.
3: Thank you to our guest, Christina Chang. And thanks to our wonderful producers, Kevin Bendis and Cameron Drews. We'll be back next week for June's interview with writer and artist Hannah Kirshner. Until then, get back to work!